I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy it. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you of the days of fine adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello and welcome to the Appendix on Book Club. My name is Patty and I am here to represent the Patron Book Club. Before Hoy and Jeff record each episode, they sit down and chat with patrons from their patron who have signed up to chat with them. These episodes are then released to our patron feed for anyone who wants to listen. Since we have so much fun doing these, we wanted to show you what they're like. On this episode we the Patron Book Club, we discussed Andre Norton's Web of the Witch World. You may notice that we cover some of the same topics that we discussed on the main show and other topics we did not. If you'd like to check it out, here it is. And thank you to Noah Green and Adam Styers for joining us. Hi. Hey, how's it going? All right, Jeff, can you hear me? I can. Excellent. So we're going to be joined by Hoy and Adam Styers today as well. Great. And I believe this is the eighth in a row that Adam will be joining us for. Woohoo. Hey, Adam. Hey, can you hear me? I can. Oh, great. Okay, good. I thought I'd have to adjust that. Um, you are a little quiet, but I do hear you. Okay. How am I doing here? Uh, also a little quiet. All right. How about that? That that, that doesn't sound different. Does this sound different? Okay. How about now? You both sound the same. <laughs> huh. Weird. Oh, well, that's fine. It's not a big deal. Okay. I, I can still uh, how, Is my input volume okay? Yeah, you sound fine. Do they sound quiet right. to you, Noah, or no? Uh, I can hear them both fine. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can hear everybody fine. So. Okay, cool. Let me go ahead and adjust my end then, because maybe that's all it is. Or peak too high here. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah. That's better. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, welcome to our patron book club. So um, Noah knows this, but Adam, I don't believe you know this yet. We've decided that we're going to go ahead and release this patron book club on the actual feed to give people an insider look as to what goes on in our patron book clubs. Ooh, awesome. Assuming that's okay with you. That's okay by me. Yeah, sure. Very cool. Sounds great. So we will uh, be releasing the official episode that we're going to be doing um, prior to the releasing of the patron book club. But then two weeks after that, we'll be posting this as um, an episode on the feed. Great. Super. Good time. Cool. Good time. Absolutely. So we're going to get a double dose of Web of the Witch World. Yeah. <laughs> So, guys, uh, let's start by chatting with uh, chatting about what edition we're working with. Adam, what are you working with today? I've got uh, the Ace one with the uh, Davis Meltzer painting of the Gateway, which is really cool. Right? Yeah, yeah. Do we think that's the um, the other witch, the unnamed witch, or do we think that's Jaleth? I thought it was Aldous, perhaps. I kind of thought that, too, yeah. Oh! I got the same one. Right. I'm rolling with the same one, yeah. Right, right. Um, I've got also, this is uh, possibly a third printing. It's undated, so it might be from 1970. Same cover, but you can see the trade dress is a little different. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm the only one here working with a different cover. I've got the 1964 
uh, first edition Ace paperback with the Jack Gogan cover. Um, and I usually, I, like I love Jack's art. Like, it's always beautiful. Yeah. This is kind of dull. It's yeah. just like some people on a ship. Right, right. And like, it's a bunch it's of dudes car. on a ship. Yeah. They're Vikings. It's all, it's all yeah. Carmen. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like of everything that's happening in this story, choosing that to be the image to advertise this book is a strange choice. I think it was sort of the safe choice, you know, from a genre perspective. Yeah, yeah, a little harder to nail down, right? And this is like, oh, it's fantasy. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just would, I thought it would have been cool to have, you know, somebody with like a big, like, barbarian sword sending like little mental signals to some guy in a metal cap who's like screaming (laughs) (laughs) i still love the goofball cover of the original witch world with his like the falcon helmet which looks like uh (laughs) i don't know exactly what a little bit like a like a north northwest uh native american this one yeah yeah oh no not that not even that one i know which one you mean the bird yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i think those are those are supposed yeah. to be colder slaves, I think, because they had like ray guns. And I remember the bird helmets mentioned on the colder in that first right. encounter yeah. in that book. Right, yeah. right. Right. It, it looks a little bit like Native Americans from the Does. West or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, I guess starting with you, Noah, what did you think of Web of the Witch World? Well, it's interesting because I had read it uh, quite some time ago, and uh, I'd read I'd read most of the Witch World books quite some time ago, and only in the past kind of year and a half I've been uh, rereading them. And um, you know, honestly, I mean, I was I, I remembered the sort of the genre mixing, um, but I, it was a little bit m- more muddled and, than I remembered it being. Um, you know, I love Andre Norton, I love Witch World. Um, it was, there were there were a couple of uh, funky things with the plot that didn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it was I, I definitely saw the influence on D and D, and I know we'll, we'll we'll get to that later. But um, yeah, there were a few plot holes and things like that. Um, but it was still very exciting and uh, very original. And um, you know, overall, I enjoyed reading it. Is there an example of a specific plot hole that especially bothered sure. you? Sure. Sure. Um, I, well, there are two. The, uh, the bigger one is kind of what is really up with Aldous? Um, you know, what were her motivations? I get that she was possessed by the Calder. Um, I get I get that she was also, you know, had her own ends in sort of manipulating what was going on in Karsten. But I didn't really understand why she wanted to go through the gate at the end, whether that was the Calder or her, and why she was sort of commenting kind of bitterly and sardonically on what was happening on the other side with the rear guard Calder, uh, or, or really kind of what what she wanted, you know, and how much of that was her and how much of that was them. And I know that there's probably an answer, but I, I had a tough time getting my head around it. Okay. That was one. And then the other one really briefly is uh, the sort of instant jump from, uh, I guess it was Cars to Gorm to get a hold of the flying machine you know, that Simon used to get to Yuli or however that's pronounced. There was literally like just one paragraph they were in cars and the next paragraph they were in Gorm. Um, and that was, I, I, I thought that was a bit of an oversight. But that's <laughs> obviously a much, a much smaller one. Sure, sure. Now, Hoy, how did you feel about reading Web of the Web of the Witch World? Um, 
I feel a little bit similar to Noah, not so much in terms of plot holes, but the pacing was a little strange. I felt mm. like almost like um, um, this is in some ways the most elliptical book we've read other than the Fletcher Pratt ones, which are just kind of, uh, you know, opaque. But um, so I'm sorry, what was, do you mean by elliptical? Meaning like there was you felt like there were things happening that um, I felt like almost like she was literally Andre Norton was literally striking out one in 10 words in her draft just to make the things a little bit shorter <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Or, like, or one in 10, not yet. Like one in 10 words, not even one in 10 sentences. Cause some of the sentences would have the strange construction where, and I, it actually is actually quite an interior book for a book that has a lot of action. So maybe that it sort of represents a sort of fractured consciousness that, you know, a bunch of the people are going through Simon. Um, is he a man of the modern world? Is he a fully uh, fledged, you know, member of the witch world now? Uh, chorus has his two legacies. Um, uh, I'm sorry. What's the name of the Duchess of Carson, the heiress? Um, uh, oh, Lois Lo- or Lois. Lois yeah. is also still like having sort of, is she this, you know, now liberated woman who is part of the S carp, you know, in S carp, or is she still the put down, you know, uh, pawn of folk and, and, and um, all this, you know, back in Carson. And so it sort of reflects their sort of fractured consciousness. And Jaleth, of course, I think is also quite fascinating. You know, does she want, um, does she, you know, I, I love that line. They use it twice. Was this a sacrifice not really a sacrifice at all? Did she lose, not really, you know, her not losing the witch power? Like, did that sort of negate, you know, her wanting the power back? Did that negate something about her own essential personality that, you know, that she never really made a sacrifice, right? That she's not not the person that she thought she was. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. But it's very fractured in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Adam, what were your um, what was your take on this? I, I liked it. I thought it was a good story, and it moved right along, and everything uh, seemed to hit a lot of the same plot points as Witch World, like with Lois being the captive of this, you know, marriage she doesn't want. That's exactly what happened in the first book, and then at the end, when he turns the tables on the Calder kind of like the same hits a lot of the same plot points as that but uh overall uh, you know kept kept the pace moving and was a pretty good story i liked it yeah mm-hmm. one thing that i thought was interesting which also kind of potentially backs up hoy's take on this is that almost every chapter was exactly 10 pages and it very much <laughs> I, I, yeah, if, if you go back and look, it's it's interesting because I, I kept um, as I was going through and I was reading them, I'm like, OK, I've got a bunch of homework to do today, but I'll make sure to read one chapter after I'm done with this thing. And I noticed, oh, it's it's 10 pages. And the next time I did that, I'm like, oh, it's 10 pages. And then after I'm like, oh, this next chapter is also 10 pages. And as I was going through, I'm like, oh, they're almost all exactly 10 pages. <laughs> so I, I don't know if maybe like she was like turning these books out and she's like, OK, I've got this witch world deadline. I'll just make myself do a 10 page chapter every day and that's just kind of like what she was doing to get through to the deadline i'm not really sure uh which may have something to do with why we have some potential plot holes um with all this with all this i personally don't see that as a plot hole i see that more as something that wasn't properly explained and whether it's because andre norton was trying to keep it mysterious and understood or whether Mm -hmm. or not she was not really worrying too much about it and was being a little bit sloppy with the, with the reasoning that was kind of informing all this decisions. I'm not really sure of, 
but I definitely dug all of the early Aldous stuff with like, oh yeah, she's showing up with the dagger and she's like taunting and mocking and menacing uh, Lois in the tower. I thought that sh- I thought that stuff was really cool. Right. I want to also uh, note something that there's a lot of scenes where women are communicating directly with other women. Yeah. In this right, the 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 unnamed witches, uh, Aldous and Lois, and I feel like there's a lot of subtext that uh, is going on between the women that is that I'm not 100% cottoning onto, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a straight guy or if it's it's how Andre Norton is writing. It's also the period of the 60s, I think, you know, and, you know, just before the whole flowering of the feminist movement, the modern feminist movement. So, again, our women used to really talking in subtext back then, I'm sure now even too. But um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there and sort of like hintings of like how they all understand the structures of power, um, but without explicitly stating them a lot of cases. So I don't know, but that's just something that occurred to me. Yeah, I no. think that was I think that was there, and and I equally would not be able to perceive it, but I I I do kind of feel like there was something like that. I think there's a lot of very interesting stuff to mine in the Witch World series, uh, oh. in in terms of that kind of perspective. And I know we discussed some of this when we talked about Witch World and talking about you know kind of. Uh, paralleling this to Andre Norton's own experience being a woman in the world of science fiction writers uh, who's writing under a man's name. And, you know, in the witch world universe, if a woman reveals her name, she loses her power. And like, I wonder if maybe that's related to like, if Andre Norton, (laughs) if, if, if if people discover that she's really a woman writing these things, does this, is this her fear that she's going to lose her power as a science fiction writer uh, by revealing her true name? I, 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 I can't I'm laughing because I can't believe I didn't see that right. until until now. I think you're absolutely right. Well, Noah, I mean, you've been reading Andre Norton longer than most of us. And I don't know how long you've been reading Andre Norton, um, Adam. But do you do, were you aware that she was a woman writer when you were reading reading her, you know, I guess in the mid 70s or, you know, early 80s or whenever whenever you started reading? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're asking me or both of you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew she was so a woman writer. Yeah. Right, right. I just yeah. wasn't sure like when it was publicly known. I mean, I'm sure like at the very early part of her career through the fifties, but I think by the late sixties, I think it was known that she was, she was, yeah. Woman, right. Yeah. I mean, I knew when I read quag keep in 78 that she was a woman. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and she was even that, originally writing under the name of Andrew North. So right. she was clearly trying harder initially to kind of keep that male persona. Right. Um, and you know, certainly Lee Brackett, but I think a lot, I think people in the know and in the industry certainly knew it was just for like the very casual browser at the, you know, the spinning rack at the drugstore or something like that. So they wouldn't just say, Oh, you know, what does a woman know about science fiction? But I think certainly within the industry, they all knew who she was. Yeah, I think by the 80s, it was much easier for somebody named Mercedes or Catherine to be a popular science fiction author. Uh, but that would have been much, much harder in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Well, it seemed like she had a whole career in the 50s, you know, as as a writer mm-hmm. uh, that I don't really know much about. I mean, that was kind of her, her more science fiction kind of era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the transition from science fiction to fantasy is, is something I think that's worth talking about, uh, particularly because a lot of it happens right in this novel. Right. Um, but, um, you know, uh, so she had a pretty big career before this book had been written. And I don't, I don't really know like how much of that, you know, like Starman's Son, which I have, I've not read, and and other classics from that era. I don't know, 
you know, how widely known at that time when she was really building up her career, uh, how widely known uh, it was that she was a, a woman or not. Right, right. Um, and you know that also, to your point, Noah, that by, I guess, the 80s, she almost fully had transitioned to primarily fantasy. There was yeah. Not writing science fiction anymore. And I do remember reading somewhere that she found that writing fantasy was much more liberating in terms of the expectations put on her as a writer mm. than, than writing science fiction. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I I, I could see many reasons why that would be the case. Um, and um, I only know her really as a fantasy author. I don't really know her sci- science fiction at all. Um, and um, I, 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 you know, I remember, uh, you know, seeing the presence of science fiction. I remember because I read, you know, reading these books when I was young. Um, but, it, it, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, these books, these first few Witch World books were written right at the time when it, it seemed like she was kind of transitioning. Uh, genre um and uh you know it happens right in the book basically mm-hmm. adam have you read much of her science fiction works yeah i read uh, the iron cage and cat's eye okay and uh a couple of them yeah mm-hmm. yeah and they're pretty good they're you know they're uh there's always animals in them, you know, and psychic links with animals and, and the ones that I've read. Okay. The one is bear people and the other ones is cats. So. Right. And cats is like a big theme in her, uh, in her books. Though. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. cat crazy. I wonder how she would feel about <laughs> the then, new cats movie. Right. And even within the fantasy, I think towards the end of her career, especially when she started having a lot of co-authors, it became much more uh, high fantasy. This is more sort of, uh, uh, not just science fiction, but still straddling a little bit to a certain extent, sword and sorcery. Um, you know, it's not clear whether the witch's powers are are actually psionic in nature as opposed to true, you know, true magic. And the colder are clearly sort of science based. Um, <laughs> right. We don't know what these sort of skeletal beings are, whether they're like corrupted colder or just colder become completely bitter by being left behind or what's going on. But, um, you know, but they're they've clearly got some kind of animating force that's driving them, but it's not also not clear whether it's, you know, purely psychic or if there's some other corruption, other extra dimensional corruption that's been following them and, and turned them into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I also really appreciated about web of the witch world is she does some really kind of cool things with her uh, narrative styles. You know, we've got this kind of close third person narrative going on where, you know, it's not from the eye perspective, but it's very much, close to Simon when we're kind of following Simon around. And there are some great moments where like once Simon is possessed by the colder, he now has this whole narrative about like those hags, those hags, those (laughs) horrible witches and S-carp. We need to, we need to destroy them. And like, but it happens very slowly where like you first start to see that he's kind of questioning whether or not Jaleth has really abandoned him and he kind of gets more and more angry. And then it starts to get to a point where like, as the reader, you're like, oh, wait, no, this isn't just like an angry, jealous husband. Like, it's going real far afield now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, 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 I love that part, too. And I, it's really interesting how, how you know, yeah, where, where it's like, you can't tell whether it's him or them. And it, it's such an interesting, you know, they're basically using his own insecurities and emotions and things he's upset about to manipulate him. I'm like trying to find it. Um where he's basically compa- complaining about Jaleth, you know, leaving him. Obviously, she did, really didn't. Right. And 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 the colder are sort of. Uh, I wish I could find it. I'll, I'll look for it while you guys talk. I'm sorry. Right. Um, and Jeff, you're actually bringing up an interesting point uh, about this husband thing. I think very few of the books that we actually read are 
where the protagonists are, you know, they become married at the end, but very few of them are where they're actually married through the course of the book. Right. I think maybe a couple of the Fletcher Pratt ones. I can't think of any of the other ones where the, the protagonists that we've read have actually been uh, a married couple, even though they're split apart. Yeah. Cause and even when they are like always the wife is being kidnapped. We see that again right. and again in Pellucidar. We see that again and again in maker of universes. So like right. they, they're happily spoused um, between the novels. Right. Um, but I thought this one was a very interesting and sort of mature uh, a pro- uh, portrait within a fantasy context of some of the tensions that there are in a marriage, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm. Jaleth is wanting to pursue, again, this is sort of at the sort of beginning of the modern feminist, you know, fe- uh, feminist movement, right? So Jaleth is pursuing something that is outside of the marriage, regaining her power. Right. right. But it contributes back to their marriage because between the two of them, they have a greater power than either one of them separately, right? And it's a new power that the witches haven't seen yet. You know, the older witches haven't seen yet, right? Um, so this new dynamic that's going on and it's this renegotiation of their relationship, even though they're not in each other's presence most of the time. Yeah. Right? yeah. Very, very, you're right, very, and very topical to that time period yeah. and to this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that matter, to everyone, to every time period, actually. Right. right. Um, no, and I think her yeah. exploration of their relationship is done in a very interesting and mature way. I like there. There's a, a, a section on page 184 where it says theirs had always been an inarticulate love, but perhaps Simon mm. believed the deeper for its very wordlessness. No one could ever occupy all of another's thoughts and emotions. There were parts of him which would be closed to her also, but to take without question what she did have to give and to offer in return freely and without jealousy all he had, that was what their union meant. And I think that's a very um, beautiful, romantic, and kind of also realistic uh, kind of view on what a loving partnership with with realistic expectations looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That passage stood out to me too. Mm-hmm. And it certainly, I don't think, um, I, I think I would have glazed my eyes, would have glazed over it, you know, like, t- you know, as recently as five or 10 years ago, let alone <laughs> if I'd read this one, you know, I was a you know a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. I would be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Give to the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, how did you respond to kind of the more romantic aspects of the story? What did I think about the romance of it? Yeah. Um, or maybe not even the romance, also just like the, um, the writing of a married couple, any of that. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it shows like a real mature, I think that part that you read shows like, that's like a mature relationship, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, also it kind of hints that she's kind of introverted that she says she needs to have this silent time, you know, by herself. And he's like, it's okay. He's okay with that. And that kind of was like very mature way of, handling that right right and, and i think that's sorry go ahead I, I thought it was interesting with the magic part of it was i think that the witches themselves have built these traditions of if you get married then you won't have your magic powers and also you need the gem but i don't think that either of those things are necessarily true that's just been the tradition that they've been telling themselves mm-hmm. and it may not be have anything to do with either of those things they may not even need that gem that may just be a mental thing to help them focus right right i think you're definitely on something i think this is this transition um i know that um the witch world books as a whole are not static in other words the societies and the magics develop later on and i'll be interested to see how that proceeds i know for example 
a couple of the later books are about the Tregarth children. Right. Uh, right. And what, what heritage they are brought up with. Um, also, still talking about the marriage thing, it contrasts to Chorus and Loisa, who are very early in their relationship. And they're very much, you know, uh, uh, Chorus is like super romantic. I'll, you know, carve my way through like three kingdoms to find her. Right. And, and, um, where, where Simon's like, yeah, I, de- I definitely need to find her, but you know, let's, I got to do this like the right way. Right. <laughs> I got to, <laughs> you know, can't just but, charge, you know, bang my head against a fortress, you know? But you know, it's interesting. And, and I owe a debt to, uh, to someone who, who I read, uh, there's a woman, uh, author, uh, an author, I should just say, uh, named Judith Tarr, uh, T-A-R-R, who is writing a, a, uh, I think it's a biweekly Andre Norton reread column oh. for, on the tour website, you know, tour books. Um, and, um, she notes that, you know, um, I, I don't know what she said about uh, whether, I mean, she definitely said this about Simon and, uh, Jaylith, that Jaylith is sort of until the end, anyway, the more level headed partner that, that like Jaylith is on the mission and is going about stuff. And Simon is kind of the one who's always freaking out. Um, and, you know, I, I think in some ways that kind of extends to, uh, Chorus and, and Lois, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, or at least Lois is not freaking out because she's mind controlled, but, but, uh, Chorus is, is, is kind of freaking out and that it's sort of an inversion of, of certain stereotypes about men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's not me. That's, that's, uh, Judith Tarr's commentary. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah, so she's like, she's like, look. It's, 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 I just discovered it today, actually. Yeah. So uh, right. definitely worth checking out. Cool. But I think that, that that's interesting that that happens. Right. And that point is very borne out because when Jayla is selecting the various soul car captains to, to see which is the best captain for her to, to go on this mission, she's like settles on this, the one guy. And, you know, he's like, oh, I've made the right choice. This guy's level-headed. He's not, you know, not going to like contradict me when I say that we have to do this thing. You know? mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, that's true too. She's super businesslike with him, and he's like, he's totally respectful of that. At the same time, like he, this lady knows what she's doing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely. That's something I've seen in a, in a number of different books, where like of her books, where male characters who see the potential of like not being sexist and looking at women for what they can accomplish with their talents end up profiting by by them. You know that like there's there's in spell of the witch world which is a collection of short stories this one story i can't remember the names of these characters but where you know men were all prejudiced against wise women this is in the other continent where the wise women are sort of persecuted and this one male character says oh boy she can cast spells that defeat monsters yeah i'm not prejudiced (laughs) (laughs) i think she kicks ass yeah you know so uh there, there are a few instances like that i've noticed um where 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 that happens that's awesome yeah one thing that i also really kind of liked about this um her use of uh close third person is there's uh this thing on page 37 where we're kind of in i'm sorry on page 157 where we're um kind of in simon trigart's head and he's like coming up with plans and he's like perhaps it will be simpler to invade the keep and then suddenly jayla said simpler uh, so like suddenly Jaylith is responding to Simon's thoughts. And as mm. the reader, it's not even like in italics. We don't necessarily know that these are necessarily Simon's thoughts. This is just kind of like part of the narration of the novel. But then Jaylith suddenly interjects. And I thought that was a really kind of cool way of using the narration to show 
that um, Simon's mind is being read and he wasn't really aware of it or prepared for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Like right a couple sentences below that, a couple paragraphs. Reading of thoughts. Again, she answered an unvoiced question. Not quite that, I think. But yeah. rather a similar path is followed by us both. So, yeah. And and and, and it could, again, be read as as purely, you know, psionic and science fiction, but also, again, that dynamic between a couple that is very confident in each other and been married for a very long time and sort of can pick up on each other's rhythms. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, all this does sound very much like, you know, an understand a, a very mature understanding of marriage. And this is very interesting, too, because she herself never married. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really I, we don't really know anything about uh, relationships that she had. Um, at least that's what what I've seen stated in biographies. Right. So it really, you know, shows, you know, the author's ability to to, you know, a, a, as you see in any great author of being able to see outside their own experiences and and be able to depict the, you know, depict kinds of experiences and characters that they might themselves not necessarily be familiar with. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Adam, is there anything else about uh, Web of the Witch World that particularly stood out for you uh, for a positive or a negative? Well, I want to know what you guys think of this idea. Toward the end, when they go through the... When uh, Aldous is kind of losing her mind and they go through the doorway to the colder world, maybe it's just because we just did Return of the King but it kind of reminded me of the three characters, Frodo and Sam and Gollum, mm, because sure. she, she's go, she's kind of going off the deep end like Gollum. And then, you know, and then they have to destroy the big bad magic thing. And then he gets his hand injured mm. in the process. And I was wondering if anybody else kind of like made that connection or if I just have Frodo on the brain because we just did this <laughs> or what. No, I, you know, Adam, you, I, you, you actually are right. I felt like I don't know that there's any literary parallels, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, in terms of Andre Norton having read it, but I was literally, like, yeah. And, and he's literally being, he's literally being carried by Jaleth because he's, he's almost fainting with the, from the pain, right? The way that Frodo is being borne up by Sam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I did not pick <laughs> up on that. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I, it totally makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> cool. So taking a look at this from a literary person, from a, from a gaming perspective, rather, I'm curious what you guys think about the magic mechanics in web of the witch world. And if you were a game designer, things that you would do to make the magic in an RPG game feel more like uh witch world. Well, I cheated on that one, see, because I got I got this right oh. here. Oh, cool! You have that. You have that. <laughs> I haven't really read it, uh, but I, I I do have it. I did uh, get one last time too. I haven't read it myself. Too. Yeah, many days myself. So. so so this is I guess this is since this is audio only. Eventually, so I'm I'm holding up the GURPS uh, Witch World uh, right. source book, um, cool. which yes I. I I haven't. I haven't really. I read. I. I haven't. I, I haven't read much of the mechanics at all because I don't play GURPS. Um, but well, maybe I for was, the next thirty minutes, used... you can just read that to us. 
What's that? For the next 30 minutes of the episode, you can just yeah. read that to us. Well, you know, that, 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 I'm, I'm sure that's what everybody wants. So, yeah, let, let's get started. And since, since, you know, audio podcasting is a visual medium, I might also want to add for our home audience, Noah is wearing an incredible Daw Yellow Spine t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to, I had to wear it for this. Uh, actually, uh, Gabe Meister, uh, who some, some listeners might know because, you know, we all – is a gaming community, whatever he, 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 uh, made this and, and he sells it. Um, you. so you can, you can get it. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Meister. Uh, yeah, I had, I had to, I had to rock this shirt for, for, for <laughs> course, yeah. um, even though, even though this is not, you know, the Daw, uh, Andre Norton, which world, um, that was mostly the high Halleck, uh, stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which actually I, high Halleck is kind of the part I the, the continent I actually prefer. Uh, okay. But the, the whole, mainly cause I read the high, I read the series out of order and I read high Halleck books first. Right. Um, I mean, there's so many of them, right? There's like 30 yeah. some odd books, uh, you know, including the ones that are co-written towards the end of her career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. That, those I don't even know too right. well yet. Um, right. I'm going to be reading more of those. Right. Bring it back to magic, um, magic, magic right. mechanics. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I don't. I mean, it's definitely not Vancean, right? I, it, it can't be Vancean, so it has to be um, some other system. Uh, GURPS, we know, is a, is a uh, essentially a skill-based system, the magic system. Although you have uh, limited charges because you have fatigue, um, which you know is based on your your constitution or your health score in GURPS. Although mm-hmm. I don't know how much they modified that uh, for GURPS Witch World. Um, I know, for example, RuneQuest, the various flavors of RuneQuest, ha- each have at least three magic systems. Right, you know, spiritual <laughs> spiritual magic. Uh, you know what we know as sorcery, which is more ritual based. And this is, I mean, clearly psionic, right? I mean, there's stuff that is done that is ritual to help, like when the um, the sorceress comes and, and does the disguise spell mm-hmm. on these guys. And I guess it is literally. It's not clear whether they're physically transformed or everyone's perceptions have changed. But even the people who are um, the subject of the spell perceive themselves in these new forms, right? They see themselves, you know, like Simon sees himself with now this pot belly and sort of red, reddish gold body hair, which he didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, as, uh, as Adam, you were saying, it's not clear how much of this folk, uh, you know, this focus and this ritual stuff is to actually help them channel innate powers, right? Or if it's something that is required, you know, as a real, you know, material component in the classic D&D sense of the word. Yeah. Although the transformation magic that they did was so cool with the uh, silk and the chemicals and the mixed stuff they mixed on the silk and then threw it into the fire and all that weird stuff with the double pentagram. Right. And it's really, yeah, really a cool spell. Right. <laughs> and, and they refer back to Jaleth doing the, the spell with the, the ships and the little model boats mm-hmm. and, and from the first book. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, cool. I, I I was I liked when they referred back to that, and we actually got to see one of the little boats. Right. Oh wait, was that was that this book or was that the preview? I can't they remember. Did, they did refer back to that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I guess it's not clear whether uh, Chorus's um, the the swamp the swamp people. You know, again, they have some sort of teleportation um, out of their cell, right? Right. In this feature of the cell, and. Um, but it's not clear again what their their powers are. But it's clearly different from what the witches have. And it's, yeah, it would seem I, like if you were going to do a witch world style RPG, you also need to make space for improvised magic as well, because there are quite a few times where, in addition to these very clearly ritualized spell moments, there's also times where they're just trying to make something happen, and they and, and they're not necessarily 
referring to a specific spell to a specific spell they know. So, for example, when Jalith is trying to reach out to Simon uh, when he's on the submarine and kind of track him, um, this is something she's like trying to kind of figure out on the spot. When Simon is trying to get that door unlocked, he's just visualizing the inside mechanics of the lock and then trying to manipulate that. But then mm-hmm. with Simon, it's kind of not clear if that's magic or psionics. All right. Um, I think there was, uh, and I want to say it was GURPS, but I could be wrong. One of the GURPS, like not the st- straight traditional GURPS magic system, which is pr- pretty well defined, but one of them was essentially you knew different verbs, right? Okay. And you're still at different verbs, transform, mm-hmm. manipulate, yeah. you know, uh, disguise. And so, and then you would have to combine the various verbs and then, you know, an object like this person. You know, guys, this person and give him great strength. So, and so I could see a system like that because then it could be like your skill at the various verbs. Like, certainly some people might be better at illusion, so that might be perceive or something like that, but it wouldn't be like a specific defined spell. Yeah. Right? Um, and that so would be funny my- if that was like a randomly a randomly generated table that you would roll on and you end up getting like the ability to like disguise ice. And you're like, man, <laughs> how often is this going to be helpful? Right. <laughs> but um, even with this guy's ice, I mean, you could, I guess you could make right. an, an ice ring right. look like it was a ballroom. <laughs> yeah. Or even if you knew, even if you knew the, even if you knew the object, but you know, the degree of effect, like the more grandiose effect you have, the more the modifiers would stack against you or the more fatigue it would cost. Yeah. Um, um, so, but that, you know, at the very basic level, you could, you know, do sort of like, you know, three card money. Right. Uh, and then it would work its way up to like disguising a whole army or a fleet of ships, you know, in a fog bank or something like that. Um, yeah, I, but it has to be a little bit more open-ended than D and D magic system. Like it would have to yeah, exactly, exactly. It would have to be very open-ended. It would, it would have to be require a lot of, you know, even with the mechanics that were added, it would have to require a lot of creativity on the part of both the player and the DM. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vastly different scales of effects of, of some of the spells. You know, there aren't any, there don't really seem to be any like close combat kinds of spells, at least not in, in this book. You know, it might almost, you know, point to a different kind of campaign style or adventure style, given that the magic would be that different mm-hmm. uh, from standard D&D. All right. Which and is fine. Like, you know? I know like in Ars Magica, which I've never played, but one of the, the goals there is you have a wizard who has a tower, but then he has all these servants that work for him, and you alternate between playing the wizard and playing his troop of servants, right, who are doing his various tasks, you know, like gathering magical ingredients, fending off another wizard's tower, whatever that might be. Um, and so I can certainly see in that regard. So at certain points, you have the, the especially the senior, which has come down and say, okay, you're going to go do this for us, right? And they will cast this incredibly powerful ritual, like when the first witch transforms 10 of them into their disguise before sending them off into cars or Karsten, right? Um, but she's not with them every step of the way because that's, you know, I mean, it's, in this case, it's a narrative device, but. Um, so you are that. in, you are in Escarp and you are putting together an adventuring party and you can uh, select one character from this book to join your adventuring party. Which one is it going to be? Starting with you, Adam. Oh my goodness! Uh, probably Jaleth. Yeah, yeah, she's the most powerful one, isn't she? I mean, that, not at the beginning, right? But certainly by the end. Yeah, yeah. Hoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been drawn to sort of like skill characters. 
I mean, I, I really love Chorus, and I, I could see him. He's like the epitome of like a great fighter, and he's got this mag- amazing magic axe. Yeah. Uh, but but I would also Jayla because she's such a uh, also a strategic thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so she's in, my, in many ways to me the most interesting character. No. Yeah, uh, I I would say Jaleth. The only the only thing I wasn't sure about, and uh, by the end of this book, and I and I don't remember yet. I'm I'm going to be reading Three Against the Rich World next. Is like how much of her new power situation depends on drawing upon Simon for power and energy because it seemed like they were alluding to that also. So uh, I, I would I would pick Jaleth, but I'm I'm I might need to have Simon around also right. in order for that to work. You know right. whether she's like sort of a yeah whether he's sort of a you know a, a mana bank uh, for her or something like that. All right. Um, uh, it, you know, but yeah, she's definitely right. the most but powerful. She's, she's extraordinarily competent, though, regardless of whether or not her magic power is in place. Yeah, I mean, she's a, an amazing strategic thinker and strategizer. I mean, she would clearly be the party leader. Right, right. And I did like also how the the Sulkar men were actually portrayed as quite competent too, though that they are very, you know, that they they really know their business, you know, in terms of like how they raid from the sea and you know they're splitting the ships to, to disguise how how large their fleet is and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, and um you know the one captain and when you know he brings up the old man and says have you seen this thing when they start to sail into those, those hideous poisonous you know seaweed bank and how they deal with that so yeah yeah no they're they're a well portrayed faction right right in in fact that this this book is a celebration of competence in a lot of ways nobody's <laughs> nobody's born yeah confidence porn <laughs> yeah. yeah nobody's superhuman i mean yes there was well, a superhuman but but nobody's like like at the level of super, you know high fantasy mowing down armies with a single blow until but, but it's the single weakness of the not the single weakness the central weakness of the colder <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a metaphor for you know the perception of communism that they had in the mid 60s that's completely centrally planned so if you take out one of their leaders they all collapse right because everyone's just like a drone right yeah yeah it, it that's true i mean they they are pretty incompetent um yeah. uh I, I didn't think of the the that you know political angle from that time period but i'm 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 sure that that was a factor in, right. in, I mean, in they have the infiltrators everywhere right like communist you know communist. oh that's true yeah, yeah. exploit like, exploiting existing divisions in society you yeah. know like right right that's kind of like, was, I now what was a thing then I, yeah I, I, and I, now <laughs> I, I now guarantee that you that vladimir putin read this Possibly in translation when he was <laughs> <laughs> training in the says, says Lavrov, don't, don't make the same mistake Calder make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you leave behind friend, you don't let them back in, yes? <laughs> <laughs> you abandon the rear guard, they stay abandoned, yes. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so this is something we discussed when we talked about um, Fafford and the Grey Mouser and the various geese that are placed upon them. But there's quite a few moments in this story where our main characters' wills are completely stripped from them and they are forced mm. to perform the actions of their enemies, uh, that their enemies want them to do. Now, do you feel like this can be done in a fun way in an RPG setting as a player? I think you have to be the right kind of player for it. Right. You know, yeah. um, you have to be more interested in in role playing and fun than in than in winning. Right, right. You know, you, you really want to. Uh, you're either going to be like, "Oh shit, I'm about to die. I'm losing," or you can be like, "Let's just own this and yeah. and go for it and totally, right. you know, vamp up the uh, the 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 temporary, hopefully temporary villain status." You know? right. 
Adam? Uh, yeah, man. Just, just, you just got to play a different character for a little while. You're the, you're the evil Spock or so to speak or whatever. <laughs> totally. Um, it's like this, the, the old school style is like, Nope, that character is an NPC. Now that style I don't think is fun. I think, no, but I think giving the player the opportunity to completely fight against their party and be evil for half of a session is for most players, a pretty fun and exciting opportunity. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Although, I mean, the old school hatred of being geese is, is incredible. I mean, to, to your point, um, uh, Noah and I play in the same Tuesday night group, which he used to play in Jeff back in the day. Yeah. And um, about two sessions ago, we were uh, offered the, uh, you know, the run of, uh, you know, this island if we would accept this geese to, uh, you know, work, you know, work with the, the owners of the island. And right, most right. of them were okay, but a couple of the players, you could see they just looked like they were sucking on lemons. <laughs> 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 they were just so conflicted. You see, could you see that they almost wanted to bail out on that session and just like walk out the door? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know it's also because it was less of like a fun kind of geese where like you're like a, you know, a bad guy or yeah, it was right, more right. like, we're going to be working for this company and doing stuff for them. Right. Like right. I already do that all Right, goddamn day long. You know? right, we're gonna be corporate drones. You know, <laughs> we're gonna be like, we're gonna be rapacious, you know, exploiters of the land. For yeah. Exactly. So. You, you now get experience points for increasing productivity. <laughs> exactly. That's basically what we avoided. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I I know that there's, uh, you know, there's that there's that kind of new thought. It's not super new, but but it's codified of attacking the character sheet as opposed to like just killing players off, like, you know, making them lose equipment, you know, uh, you know, just looking at the sheet, what can we do to sort of F with them to keep the story going? And there's a certain school of players who are completely resistant to that. Like once I have this magic item, I can never lose that. Right. Or, yeah. Um, and I like and, that principle in the way that you're talking about it, but I also feel like there's an old school way of just fucking with the character sheet that I don't like where like now a monster drains a level, for example, oh, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, it it just you you can you can go and do mental gymnastics to try to make that make sense, but like it's pretty clear that that's just like somebody in TSR being like, okay, so this is another way that'll like really piss off the characters and make and make the play. I'm sorry, piss off the players, and make the players scared of the monsters. Right. And it's like, don't I, I I'd say worry less about making the players scared, make the characters scared. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. ha- have well, it be I things guess- that actually make sense in the context of the story. Right. Well. uh, just to follow up on that digression, well, it's not a digression, it's a pretty important point. Uh, level drain, I think, has a place, but it really needs to be foreshadowed, right? You can't be just like, oh, and you just lost a level, right? You really have to go, oh, you know, this could be a vampire, this could be a specter. We really need to back up or, mm-hmm. or you know, think about how we can do this. And I remember Tim Cast saying that where he thought it came from was Dracula, where none of the people who ever fought Dracula were ever the same afterwards. It wasn't like, even though they beat Dracula, they were never the same afterwards. And so that's sure. what, you know, dealing with level drain is like, or Frodo and, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the Rings, even though he's sort of leveled up, he's never quite the same afterwards. But yeah. And I think I that's a, and I think making them changed forever by the attack and by the interactions with the monster is a great idea, but like literal level drain. I'm like, what is that emulating in the fiction? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess life, life, life force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I guess, but and, like, and, if my life force is drained, that in my mind, that doesn't mean that I've now lost the lost the skills that I had before. Mm-hmm. You know, the skills that I had gained. So it just it doesn't quite make sense to me. I don't know. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you can certainly argue, but I think just losing constitution or something like that just is not it's not create enough fear. 
you know? Oh, <laughs> you know, so it has to be absolutely. Else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- and that I agree with. And I, I I think like you know maybe something that like inherently changes the character. And if you're playing with an alignment system that causes them to maybe have to like randomly re-roll a new alignment. And especially if they're a cleric, that's going to potentially really scare the cleric. Right, right. Um, and, and just to bring it back briefly to, you know, Andre Norton, things aren't status quo, right? All these characters are permanently transformed. You know, some ways good, some ways bad, mm-hmm. right? So um, again, I think that's the hallmark of sort of mature fantasy that um, nothing just comes back to like, it, it may... It may rhyme, but it never repeats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It goes for the characters and the world, right? Um, right. And you know, the mark of a good uh, uh, gaming campaign is a living world, um, and it's even stated at the end of the book. Um, I mean, I think that they hint a little bit at the end of the book that that change has to come to Estcarp itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they more than hint because I think like you know they they they've won, and then you know like one of the main witches shows up. And she says, you know, we're still going into the night, you know, meaning Escarp is still dying. And Simon's kind of like, hell no, no, you know, I, we were going to find ways, you know, for Escarp to continue. And I think what he's really talking about, of course, is 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 uh, witches being able to have children. Right. Um, and in some way, the defeat of the colder is is kind of meant to signify the potential opening up of a better future for Escarp, not just because of the elimination of the colder threat. Right, right. So, and then they kind of say, well, that's great, but, you know, the main thing is we won this battle and so right. on. Right, right. But, yeah, the idea of, of the setting being permanently changed, you know, that's that's important in a campaign, in a really right, good right. campaign. Right. And Adam, actually, this kind of reminds me, because you were talking about Lord of the Rings, this reminds me of the witches are almost like the elves in Lord of the Rings, right? They, they mm. so have a solid vision of what they are that any change of that is inconceivable and so it's better for them to just fade away than accept the possibility that for example that witches could marry and have children and still maintain their powers or you know and so that it's better that they just fade away but they're, they're gonna fight but they'll fade away rather than change wow so simon tregarth is kind of like aragorn almost too <laughs> and yeah. aragorn and arwen yeah, or Jaleth, yeah. or maybe Jaleth is Aragorn and si- Simon's Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, now they, that, that would make more sense. Yeah. What if What if Aragorn said, "You know, guys, I think you should stay in Middle Earth. I think <laughs> I think it'd be kind of helpful to have you guys around." You know. And Treegarth is almost an anagram of Aragorn. <laughs> oh man! Almost. I, this this definitely. I mean. I mean, like, totally blown away by what Adam said earlier about, you know, Gollum and the Mount Doom and the Gateway Parallel and the Burned Hand. I I think there's definitely, you know, these kind of earmarks in here of of those, of that influence. Yeah, I mean, thematically, she's definitely would have to be into all that. Was was she a librarian? I think I remember reading somewhere that she was a librarian. So she certainly was very well read. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that she took anything. I mean, when you're talking about myth, right, that there are certain themes that would just continue to reappear. So I'm not saying that she took anything directly from Tolkien, but but talking about certain themes, you, you will always see parallels. Well, I mean, I know that she was the fir- the first uh, woman in the uh, was it the swordsman and you know what I'm talking about the society right. that li- you guys know saga. a million times better than me because saga yeah yeah the uh, so much the of your of, 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 of your of your material comes back to that group of of writers. And, you know, all of them, you know, you know, talked about Tolkien and had strong feelings one way or the other about Tolkien. Um, that's something you should do. You should ask Michael Moorcock, uh, you know, about Andre Norton. I, I bet, I bet, you know, he at least corresponded with her some. I'm sure he met her. 
Um, I believe we did talk to him about Andre Norton, and I, we we definitely talked to him about um, the Swordsman and Sorcerer's Guild of America. But I believe he yeah. said he'd never actually met Andre Norton, if I recall correctly. I, I, um, I, certainly in the context of Saga, he said that it was like I don't think they ever had like a formal meeting, which is something like Lynn Carter would say. Oh, you're in Saga. It's like, oh, I am. Great. Yeah. He just he just got a letter <laughs> telling him like, oh, guess what? You're now in this group, and he's like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do believe he said he never actually met Andre Norton. Yeah. Uh, um, but I know that he was a big fan of Lee Brackett's. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember that from the interview. Yeah. Yeah. That was such a fun interview. Yeah. Cool. So, Adam, is there any kind of uh, big last thing uh, on your mind about Web of the Works World you'd like to chat about? Oh, I don't know. I think if I was gonna, I, I would say if I was going to lift anything from this, I would probably lift the uh, stuff in the swamp uh-huh. with the with a building you can't get in and out of except by teleporting and the, the bugs on the wall for the light source. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then the, also the spell that they use to capture Simon where they have the puff balls come down and then it makes a whirlwind around them. And then they put the puff ball in the center and it knocks them out. All mm-hmm. that stuff in the swamp is perfectly rip offable. <laughs> <laughs> Hoy, totally. what, what would you steal from Web of the Witch World for your campaign? Um, I think a couple things. To build on what uh, Adam said, uh, I think that Andre Norton has a very strong sense of terrain, different kinds of terrain mm-hmm. and landscape. They're going through swamp, and now they're climbing through this gully, uh, you know, and they're trying to stay undercover from what is implied as a, a laser tower at the end of the, uh, you know, the final battle, right? Um, so she has a sense of, like, terrain and, and then you being able to tell your players to take advantage of that or work with it rather than just say i charge you know i charge the enemy you know you fight um also uh faction play right it's always a big thing so there's so many factions in here and um other than the colder you can't say that any of them are purely evil and even the colder are trying to survive right mm-hmm. um so the the swamp people are kind of not exactly antagonistic to Cy- uh, to Simon Treegarth, but they're not really helping him either. But they're like, you know, hey, when you're gone, we're still going to be here, right? So we, we still have to deal with these other people, you know? So it's not about whether what we want, you know, whether we think you're cool or not, right? <laughs> um, so I think that faction play, uh, you know, and again, uh, not to the point where, like, you know, there's 300 pages of lore that every player has to read. But, you know, whenever <laughs> you run into any group, like, you know? Um, so I think all both of those things are, are things I would take away from this book, and in, in a very compact 190 pages. Noah, what are you stealing? Uh, well, okay, so so stealing something. Well, I I, I mean, I guess I, I don't know if I'd steal this, but it's it's just something that I'm really uh, fascinated by is the whole genre uh, crossover of of science fiction and fantasy that happens in this and in in the previous book, um, and um, you know, it, it, it speaks to d and I mean, when you think about it, you know, the very first sample dungeon, right, is the Temple of the Frog in, in Blackmore. Um, I think that was the very first sample dungeon, um, or at least in TSR materials. And it turns out, you know, spoiler alert, that uh, the, the, the leader of the bad guys there is actually an alien invader, Um who left behind some kind of trouble in his own land and, and, and has technological weapons at his disposal and is using, you know, I don't know if it's outright mind control, but, you know, is definitely influencing the local populace to do his bidding. And so the kind of 
comfort with mixing genres, with mixing sci-fi and fantasy, um, is is probably something that I would take from it, and 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 not necessarily, you know, worry too much about the pureness of of one genre or the other. Um, and you know, very very briefly, I would add that besides the colder. Um, both, you know, in this book and, and, and in the previous book, in which world, you know, there are other technological devices that are in the possession of, of other factions in the witch world. And in fact, you know, not to, to go too far outside this book, but at the end of which world, Simon is just openly wondering about it. He's like, how the hell do the Falcon guys have these communication devices? Why do people have light switches? Um, you know, how, how did the Sulkar have a power plant? Right, that right. you know they ultimately overloaded to blow up the keep where where did all this this shit come from right, right um and i don't know if that's ever really answered in the series or not i i because i don't remember and i'm going to be reading it all again but just yeah being a little freer about the mixture of genres is, is i think what i would right, take right. from this i mean literally this being volt right this magic axe but it's volt it's electricity right it's oh yeah that's true his name is volt you know right? <laughs> so yeah. Which also play on like uh, what the Crusaders cry, Deus Lovolt, like God wells it also. So, oh, oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of plays on there, which is pretty cool. For me, what I'm stealing, I'm stealing living skeletons and I'm stealing yeah. that ocean moss. Yes, the ocean moss. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a bad roll on a on a sea encounters table. Exactly. Yeah, instead of like because the AD and D random encounters table is so fun unless you're at the yeah. ocean and then it's like okay yeah. I you roll a whale and it's like right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do want to add um, that this is high adventure and, and um, but that. Uh, that, and they don't shy away from the violence, but that Andre Norton is not is always showing you the consequences. Like the people are actually sickened by the aftermath of the battle with like the mm. you know the, yeah. the, skele- the living skeletons and stuff like that. And and is that and even experienced warriors like Simon Trigarth has lived through World War II, fought in World War II, you know, and all the worst parts of it. And the Sulkar men are basically Vikings, and they're sickened by this stuff. So that there is that that is something you don't necessarily see in sort of regular high fantasy of battles of pure good versus pure evil. That's something that's worth stealing as a possible mechanic, you yeah. know, for a game um, to make it more realistic that way and, and, and more sort of emotionally involving. It's like, you know, after the battle with the monsters, even though you are, you're all fine, like you're just freaked out by the fact that you just slaughtered a bunch of creatures, you know, that would be that. that and I saw that, I noticed that depiction also that you're mentioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could have something where it's literally like, uh, 50 50 you're either like boat get bonuses to certain kinds of activities because you're also amped up or like the other way negatives you know but you get to be thoughtful and therefore your whatever your insight or something like that improves because you have thought about what you've done you know yeah yeah definitely worth 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 stealing right. i mean maybe that's a story game kind of structure but i think that's very interesting that's fine with me yeah exactly exactly well, fellas, I think this is our patron book club. So thank you. Um, thank you both so much for joining us today. Yes, Thanks absolutely. for having us. Yeah. Always great to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah. same here. Yeah, great, man. Good to talk to you guys again. Yeah. All right. And Adam, have, and, you start, uh, have you started reading Tarwoman's Shadow yet? Nope, nope. Just plowed this one, plowed through this one before the episode as usual. And <laughs> <laughs> get started as soon as... Yep, yep. 
finished about an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right, fellas, great chatting. And I will be posting this to the Patreon today and it'll be public in the actual feed on, um, oh, I just lost it, on March 16th. So a month from today, one month from today, it'll be on the actual feed. Great. Awesome. It's an honor. Really excited about that. Thank you. Cool. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The library is closed.